Hello, and welcome to Quantum Computing Now, a podcast about quantum computing basics, news, and interviews. I'm your host, Ethan Hansen. Today I will be interviewing a professional in the field of quantum computing. This type of episode is great for other professionals and people who want to absorb technical jargon through diffusion. I recently had the privilege of talking with Dr. James Wooten, a quantum computing researcher and brilliant Medium post writer. In fact, that's how I first got acquainted with his work. I have linked to his Medium profile in the show notes, as well as the Kiskit Medium profile and the new Kiskit textbook. I especially recommend any of his posts on building quantum games. They were all very interesting. We got to talk about quantum games, accessible quantum computing, and the new recently announced Kiskit textbook. Stick around because this was a fascinating interview. Hello, uh, welcome to Quantum Computing Now. Uh, I have with me Dr. James Wooten, um, who's joining me online, which is why the audio might be a little different than other episodes. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. So to start things off, could you just give some background on how you got into quantum computing, sort of what you were doing before you came on the show? Uh, so my background is that I did a a degree in physics many years ago. And during that time, it was always the quantum that interested me most. So I did a, a master's in looking at a topic in quantum information and I did a PhD looking at various things related to quantum computing. And then I did a postdoc looking at more of those things. And it's just, you know, gone on from there. The standard academic route that people came in through in the old days. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, uh, as I'm talking to more and more quantum computing professionals, I'm finding that they all have different routes. Um, so I actually haven't heard that you specifically were interested in sort of quantum stuff from the beginning before. Oh, yeah. First first thing is um, you seem to really like uh, making games. Um, I've read a lot of your Medium posts about quantum games as well as like procedural generation. Um, How did that start and where do you see that going in the future specifically with like quantum games? Well, it started in Arosa, which is the town where Schrodinger came up with the wave equation. Uh, I was just trying to think of a way that I could help get my research, um, well, make it in such a way that the public could engage with it more, which is something that they weren't really able to do at that time. Uh, So I had the idea to make a citizen science game based on quantum error correction, where people could play the game, come up with a a way of solving the puzzles, a a method, and then this could be turned into an algorithm that could be then used in a real quantum computer to solve um, puzzles. uh, Sorry, to solve uh, problems required for quantum error correction. And um, it was in the same year that IBM put their first device on the cloud, and that was also obviously an awesome way of helping the public get involved in in quantum computing so then i started to apply my own technique of using games to ibm's um, device on the cloud to start making games on quantum computers that people could use to find out more about quantum computing or just to see a nice simple and relatable example 
as something done on a quantum computer that wasn't uh, factoring large numbers using number theoretic techniques, but was just battleships. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so that, that game you mentioned is Dekodoku, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I've actually I played around with that a little bit. It's very fun, even if it wasn't, you know, uh, also quantum related. Yeah, so, well, thanks for that. People often say it's very addictive, which they say yeah. as a compliment. Um, it's, a, it's an odd compliment, though, when you think about it for a second. Yeah. So, next question is, what makes these games um, actually quantum games, uh, the ones that you later made for the IBM quantum system, um, and not just sort of glorified random number generators? Yeah. So, well, the first, very first experiment that I did was a glorified random number generator. So I no longer really regard that as the first quantum game. Um, but uh, after that, they really using the way that you manipulate quantum systems in order to implement a game mechanic. So, for example, uh, in my battleships game, you have to keep hitting a ship uh, until it's destroyed. And this is taking rotations uh, around the block sphere, which are rotations of a qubit, um, essentially from its zero state, which we're taking as being the ship is intact, to its one state, which we're taking as being the ship is destroyed. But by doing it partially, then it's not just one hit that, that does it. You have to do a few hits to have a sufficiently large probability of getting a one that it will count it as being uh, destroyed. So that's a very simple example of quantum being used for a game mechanic, uh, but it is more than just a random number generator. Yeah, awesome. Um, so there's been a lot of um, recent, uh, I guess, a, a push for getting the public or general public more interested in quantum computing, being able to do it on their own at home. Um, the examples that come to mind are like the the Kiskit videos on YouTube. Um, the, your own medium post. Uh, I, I even saw, I think, a Kiskit textbook um, or textbook companion that came out. So, but what is your favorite way that quantum computing is becoming more accessible? And I guess, what's one thing that you would like to see more of in the future? Um, yeah, so my favorite way of making it accessible is giving people access to either real devices to play around with or to, to use simulators. So it's not just a thing that it's in theory anymore. You can actually write a program and you can run it and you can see what, what the output is. And so that's something we've done in our textbook because you're right, IBM has just put out an open source textbook and I was one of the, the contributors to this, especially in the early chapters and part of the thinking behind this was it's not just a book that you can read, like a static object, but it's also made up of code that you can run while you're reading it and seeing it, see it happen in real time. Yeah, awesome. Um, and then uh, the second part of that question was, uh, what's one thing you want to see more of moving forward to help make quantum computing more accessible? Uh, so... Oh, yeah. One thing that I'd like to see more of, I think it would be very nice to see more examples that don't immediately rely on the maths. Because often 
uh, when people are explaining quantum computing, the first thing they do is say, okay, you've got this this state of a qubit is described by a vector, and then vectors, matrices, blah, blah, blah. It's immediately very much uh, linear algebra. Yeah. And uh, I think as quantum computing develops, then the way people will use it is less explicitly in terms of linear algebra. We'll, we'll find a way of reasoning about quantum circuits, which always has that in the background, but you don't have to go there immediately. And uh, to find that method is going to be very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, so going back to the textbook, um, could you just give like a, a summary of what's in it? Does it bring you all the way from quantum computing zero all the way to, you know, being an expert or is it somewhere in between there? Uh, what is an expert? Am I even an expert? <laughs> so <laughs> I think it brings you to a very good level of expertise because it shows you uh, algorithms, the standard textbook algorithms that we all base our understanding on and how they work. Uh, as for where it begins, well, because the beginning is written by me and because I have this idea that uh, you shouldn't dive right into the maths immediately, um, it begins in a way where the first couple of sections, there is no maths. It's just introducing you to the idea of quantum computing uh, because programmers often ask me, how is quantum pro programming different from classical programming? And I think one of the main things is uh, in programming, you're very used to doing things like adding numbers. Adding two integers is an extremely simple operation in classical yeah. programming these days. But actually, in, at the machine code level, a lot is going on when you add two numbers. And when you do quantum programming, you're still very much thinking at the machine code level. So we're just getting people back into the idea of sort of a machine code level way of thinking, showing how that can be done with qubits and giving a flavor of why qubits are not just some pile of bits, but they are something unique. Yeah, that's interesting because um, like I would have, I would think that Kiskit, most people would consider that pretty far away from machine code level but you would still say even something that's a nice wrapper like Kiskit is still very much machine code yeah well there's different ways that you can describe machine code uh, especially in the quantum case uh, so one is uh, sending the microwave pulses down to the devices and at that level Kiskit is is very much an abstraction above that Although we have open pulse now that you can also think at that level. Um, but in terms of if you wanted, if someone sat down with Kiskit and asked, well, how do I encode the, the number 42 and then add something to it? Then there's, there's no tool that will directly do that for you. You have to build the numbers yourself out of a, a bunch of qubits. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, we could add those. And in time we will, but that's not the way, that's not the level at which we think about quantum programming at the moment, typically. Yeah. So uh, what are you most hopeful for and what do you think is the biggest challenge in the future of quantum computing? Sorry, could you repeat that? Yeah. 
what are you most hopeful for, and what do you think is the biggest challenge in the field and the future of quantum computing? Um, so what I'm most hopeful that we can use quantum computing to solve some problems that really need solving. Like one of the killer applications of quantum computing is to uh, provide better simulations of things like quantum chemistry. And that means uh, being able to better design uh, medicines or maybe to work out better ways of producing fertilizer that require less energy, which would be great, you know, for the environment. So one can hope that some of these really important problems can be solved by quantum computers. Uh, but one of the biggest challenges, especially in the near term, is to work out how to solve problems despite the fact that there is noise. Because we need quite large overheads to do quantum error correction, which is how we're going to build fault-tolerant quantum computers where there is no noise. And before we can reach those overheads, we'll have a time when our devices are big enough that they can no longer be simulated. They have the potential to do things that cannot be reproduced with a, a normal computer, but we have to have a different perspective on how to design algorithms because we've got to do it around the noise. Yeah, that's... <laughs> do you think that there's a specific path moving forward that seems most promising at the current uh, current time? I know IBM uses um, superconducting qubits and Microsoft is working on um, topological, um, topologically isolated qubits. Do you think that there's a path moving forward that seems uh, most promising to reduce noise? Well, I think that the solid state qubits, like the superconducting qubits, are the ones that have historically shown the most promise. So I think that's that's where we'll be heading in the future. Uh, but there's always the possibility that uh, you can have different types of architecture for different jobs, and then you can have some interconnectivity between them. So we might see something like that uh, in the future. But I think that the superconducting um, qubits will form the backbone. And uh, last question I've got here. Um, I It was described to me by someone else that there's, a, there's sort of a difference between science problems and engineering problems where a science problem you're going to need a new breakthrough to get past the problem and an engineering problem is just sort of you know like cramming more transistors onto a single chip you can do it as technology improves over time which do you think is most prevalent in the field of quantum computing um, the more science problems or engineering problems i think there's still science problems, maybe because I'm looking at it from the perspective of a scientist, maybe everything seems like a science problem. Uh, but it seems like we have some more science problems to deal with before it becomes engineering problems. All right. So is there anything else you want to promote or tell listeners about before we end the conversation? Um, something you want me, something to promote. Oh. There's so many awesome things we do that how can I pick one? You can pick uh, but, Yeah, so I think the textbook is, is very much uh, the thing to promote because if you're wanting to learn about quantum computing, 
then the textbook is designed to be the place to go. So there's always going to be other interesting things that we're doing, um, but the textbook is is the first step, I think, on most people's journey towards quantum computing. Awesome. Well, Dr. Wooten, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. If you are interested in learning more about quantum computing, please subscribe to the podcast for more of me bumbling and stumbling through trying to understand and explain more about the field. You can also follow me on Twitter at one Ethan Hansen for updates on the podcast or to just yell at me if I mess up. There are links in the show notes to everything discussed in the video, so go take a look at all that. And I'm happy to say Quantum Computing Now is produced in partnership with thequantumdaily.com. The Quantum Daily aims to cut through the technical jargon and overhyped fluff pieces to deliver quality, comprehensible content about quantum computing. If you enjoy this podcast and would also like text resources, not just audio, be sure to check out thequantumdaily.com, which I have linked to in the show notes as well. Thank you for listening, and I will see you back here when I get the next episode done. Thank you.